This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. Now, back then, the definition of anxiety would have said a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. Typically, the daily feeling of Mary Mamalidi. Being in the kitchen allowed me to detach from those thoughts, and I noticed that it started becoming this happy place. All I thought about was what I was doing, was being creative, what I was enjoying about the whole process, and what I was enjoying about it was I was independent. I've learned that fear, it can be much more debilitating than my actual vision loss. But my advice is do what makes you happy. Hey everyone, so today we're going to do things a little differently. Today I'm going to tell you a little more about myself, something I have not done on the podcast since day one in 2018. I've talked a lot publicly about certain pieces or certain aspects of my life, but I've never really given you guys an insight as to how I found out that I was going blind um, or that I had this condition, retinitis pigmentosa. Not going to lie, it took me a while to start this episode, to start recording, because I was trying to collect my thoughts. And talking about yourself is never easy. And then talking about something that was a pivotal part of something so impactful that it changed the understanding of who I am and who I was and how I found out was not what you would have expected. There were and still are many pivotal points in my life, but nothing would have prepared me or helped me understand what I was about to find out about myself. I often joke that it's not easy being me. And truthfully, it's not easy being anyone. But when you're dealing with a disability, it adds that extra layer of complexity. Now, see here, this is where I'm going to get tied up. And this is where I'm going to struggle to explain it because it's not something that is easy to talk about. You know, I can talk about little things. And and when I talk about food, God, you can't shut me up. But talking about going blind, it's a story that is difficult to talk about. But I think it needs to be shared because I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only person that has found out that they have a degenerative condition. Something that can't be fixed, it can't be cured, it can't be helped. Every single day, knowing that you're watching yourself lose your sight, more and more as time goes on. I'm going to take you back to when I was younger. Little Mary, the age of seven. While my cousins and I, we played a very intense game of hide-and-go-seek. Five, four, three two, one, ready or not, here I come. I can hear my cousin yelling that. Running at high speed, we scramble to find our perfect hiding spot. Seven-year-old, me, found a spot behind the neighbor's lawn. The lawn was rimmed with hedges. I ran down the porch steps, and then all of a sudden I missed the last step. I'm on the ground, I was brushing off my little scraped knee, and then reminding myself how klutzy I am, and continued on. So I really wasn't thinking much about it until it became evident that I wasn't missing steps because I was a klutz, but because I was struggling to see them. So as I stood at the top of a poorly lit staircase, 
I was having difficulty deciphering where one step began and the other ended. I wasn't fully understanding what was happening to me. But I mean, I was young. I dismissed the thoughts. And then once again, life continued. As time passed on, months turned into years, and little seven-year-old me was celebrating another milestone. Double digits. My world came to a screeching halt when something new and frightening happened. I began having difficulty seeing at night. Being a vocal child, I know, shocking, right? Me, vocal. So I expressed the visual irregularities that I've noticed, and my mom scheduled an appointment with an optometrist. I sat in that oversized chair, my tiny little legs extended forward, and my feet barely hanging over the edge in a tiny, dim examining room. She has astigmatism, echoed the voice of the optometrist, so she needs glasses. She'll be fine. Nothing to concern yourself with, Mom. So, Mom and I went on our way, and shortly after, I began wearing the largest black-framed glasses I could find. That was my nod to Yves Saint Laurent and his iconic black-framed eyewear. That was a little bit of a fashionista back then. Time passed, and sadly, so did my mom. My mom lost her battle with cancer. I'm getting choked up at this part. It's tough. And we talk about certain things in our lives that are not easy to talk about. There are many in mine, unfortunately, and this is one. So time passed, and sadly, so did my mom. She lost her battle with cancer at the age of 47. She left behind a husband, four children. The youngest was me, a 13-year-old. Life continued, and so did the deterioration of my eyesight. Now, I was completely unaware of what was happening to me. As I continued to grow into this teenager, date nights and movies began. I think my father's worst time was when I started dating. Every teenager's dream was to go out with a group of friends, no chaperone, and then we can catch the latest buzzworthy movie. For this teenager and this scenario was a nightmare for me. Dark room, lined with steps, lots and lots of steps. God, panic surged through my body at just the thought. I can't make out the steps. I can't get to my seat on my own. No one's going to understand. I don't understand what's happening. I continue to tell myself this in this dismissive voice, like just stop, keep moving, keep going. Don't say anything. Just figure it out. Well, it got more and more difficult. And then I confided in a few close friends. Now, a lot of my friends growing up were my cousins, which are like my sisters today. But honestly, we were too young and too naive to understand. So once again, I just dismissed the symptoms because no one knew what was happening, including myself. So I started beginning to push that fear down deep, deep down. And I started using humor to deflect from the real issue of my vision loss. I mean, I'm a sarcastic person. I know, again, one's shocking. But I figured that if I cover it in humor or I deflect, people won't notice that there's something wrong with me. That's when I developed a new normal. Live a lie. No one will ever know my secret. I'm going to add in a quote by Stevie Wonder. 
We all have ability. The difference is how we use it. And at the time, I chose to hide mine. So I hit my later teens. So I've officially entered the nightclub and bar stage of my life. This stage was an exceptionally fun experience. Okay, let me say this again. And I'm going to add that distinct, sarcastic undertone for you to fully understand what I am saying here. And this stage was an exceptionally fun experience. I hope I did that justice. At this point, I began using alcohol to explain away the missteps or walking past someone without a simple hello, avoiding a free drink so they wouldn't notice I couldn't see their extended hand. Now, I love to dance, and I had a system for that as well. I would dance without eye contact to avoid explaining why I wasn't looking at them, because then I would have to confess my reality. And my reality for me was much worse. I couldn't see them. Now, back then, the definition of anxiety in Webster's Dictionary would have said a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically the daily feeling of Mary Mammoliti. That's my life right there, with all its panic-stricken wonder. Now, all of this hiding, all of this covering up, it all came to a screeching halt when I was out one night with a friend and I couldn't find my way out of the bar. I dug deep. I dug deep into my memory of my self-taught low vision survival hacks. Now, my low vision survival hacks are what I call them today. Back then, it was just survival. I looked for a flicker of light to bounce off of one of the metal door frames. I saw nothing. I saw absolutely nothing. And then there it was. Faintly, the exit sign. My distance vision was much better than my close-up, especially in dim lighting. So I began to scan the walls of the place. And there it was, a red and white exit sign. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? No, I miraculously found my way to the door, all while reminding myself to follow that exit sign. So I finally said to myself, okay, enough is enough. There's something seriously wrong with me. I don't know what it is. Now, I remember saying this, and I remember saying this to myself, and I think I I barely slept that night. And then the next morning, walked myself to the emergency department of the local hospital, and that is where I discovered that I had a retinal irregularity. I had the unfortunate pleasure of seeing an ophthalmologist that decided it was okay to blurt out, you're going blind. That is a day I will never forget. I glanced over to my sister, who was there for moral support, and saw the color drain immediately from her face. Now in shock, a tear began to stream down my face, to which he, Mr. Personality, proceeded to say, there's no cure. Stop crying. It's not going to change a thing. See all you can see because it can happen very quickly. We stood up and my sister quickly linked my arm with hers. I'm certain if she hadn't, I would have dropped the floor, honestly. This, my friends, is how I found out I had retinitis pigmentosa. It's a cruel degenerative eye disease that slowly robs you of sight. No treatment, no cure, no control of what is happening to you. Now, we all know that no two people are the same. Now, that being said, no two people experience vision loss in the same way. 
there are a slew of emotions that we go through. So many feel sadness, grief, anger, and so many powerful emotions. We all experience it differently. But the end result, vision loss, inevitably it results in lifestyle changes. It has an impact, not only our lives, but family, friends, significant others. So it impacts everyone as a whole. Each story is unique. And each person experiencing vision loss has a story to tell. While one obvious challenge of vision loss is restoring mobility, restoring function, there's also that emotional side of it that a lot of us skim over that we don't really dive into. And I'm going to share with you what I found helpful. I was fortunate and am still fortunate and lucky enough to have the support of friends, family, my husband, my partner. Um, He's my best friend and I have his support and he's one of my biggest cheerleaders. Find that cheerleader, find those people that support you, that lift you, that understand that this is a process. Learning the information is a lot to deal with. You go through many emotions. And here are the steps that I took to cope with my vision loss. The first thing I did was learn more about my condition. So whether it was written information, um, audio, anything I could get my hands on or my ears on to listen to, to learn more about what it is that I'm dealing with. I highly recommend step number two, seek therapeutic counseling. And the reason why I say this is because I did, and I stumbled across it. What a lot of people don't know is that it wasn't one of those aha moments where it's like, yeah, I know I need to do this and I have to get it done. And this is what's going to help me. No, I fought it. And I thought I could do this on my own. Truth is anxiety stepped in and it consumed me. It paralyzed me. It, it, it took over and it was at the forefront of everything I did every single day, day in, day out. Unfortunately, when we do have an eye condition or any type of disability, what that comes along with is anxiety. We are fearful of the what ifs, the what if I do this and this happens, the what if this happens, and it's always thinking about the worst case scenario. Unfortunately, A lot of us can relate to this because we know we're always trying to think ahead and protect ourselves because we can't protect ourselves from what's already happened to us. But with therapy, particularly for me, because it was very anxiety-based and dealing with accepting what was happening to me, I went ahead and I started looking into CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Now, I stumbled across this because believe it or not, I was at a point where I could not leave my house. I was fearful of everything. And you're talking about a woman who was extremely independent, um, going to doing everything to not being able to leave the home. And the reason being is because, again, like I said earlier, is that I hid this for most of my life. So by hiding something, by hiding your condition, what you're actually doing is prolonging the inevitable because you have to deal with it at some point in your life. And Mine just happened to be when I was older. So I was watching Dr. Oz sitting on the couch, bundled up and feeling numb from not being able to help myself. This was, this was new territory for me. 
I always had an answer for something, and I couldn't find the answer to this. Dr. Gauze was talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, and he had this expert on, um, and they were talking about how it works, what it does, what it helps with. And all I could hear was anxiety. It helps with anxiety, separating that anxiety from what's actual. It was a breakthrough moment for me. I thought, how do I find out? Where do I find someone to talk to that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy? So I started Googling. I Googled cognitive behavioral therapy. I think it was the Psychologist's Digest or something that popped up. And that's where I met Megan, which was my very first therapist. And I started my journey with cognitive behavioral therapy. I still look at, I still do it today. I still go and do my checkings every two weeks because for me, that's what helps me remember and remind myself that it's okay to feel what I'm feeling. But remember that I may be anxious about losing my sight, but it's helped me realize that I am grateful for what I have today. With vision loss also comes a sense of grief. And I want you to know that it's okay to feel this. The loss of sight, it can be devastating. But understanding that grief process that's associated with it is extremely helpful. Not only is it helpful for you, but it's helpful for your family, your loved ones, your friends, anyone who's close to you that is walking this path and and going through this journey with you. It helps and makes it easier for everyone to cope with these emotional challenges. So feel it. Go through it. That's what's helpful. And that's what was helpful for me is understanding that grief process. Then begins the journey of what low vision aids are available. You want to explore this. You want to explore um, any classes that are available to you if they offer something that you feel will help you navigate this new world. They could be tasks that are as simple as picking out your clothes in the morning, preparing a meal. Hello, that's my area of expertise. And experiencing and learning new techniques, alternative methods of doing things. You want to be able to maintain that independence. And this is why I brought this up. Because for me, that was cooking. That was me in the kitchen. Once I got back in cooking, I realized I wasn't thinking about anything. I wasn't thinking about my condition. I wasn't thinking about what I can and cannot see or what terrible things are in this world that I may come across or may encounter or could even happen to me. Gosh, that could happen to anyone. It's not going to happen just to me because I have low vision. Being in the kitchen allowed me to detach from that. So being in the kitchen allowed me to detach from those thoughts. And I noticed that it started becoming this happy place where all I thought about was what I was doing, was being creative, what I was enjoying about the whole process. And what I was enjoying about it was I was independent. I didn't need someone to help me do something. I didn't need someone to say, or not even need, because sometimes everyone just offers it and says, hey, watch out for that. Look out for that. Be careful. That line, be careful. It stings a bit for someone with low vision um, because that's how we live our lives. So having someone always to be careful is very difficult for us to hear. Um, But when you're cooking, when I was cooking in the kitchen, I didn't hear any of that. 
it was just me. And I forgot about what was happening to me. And that's how my journey into cooking began. I realized that if it's doing all this for me and it's empowering me, I'm regaining my independence through cooking. Gosh, it could help someone else. That's how I thought of combining the two, cooking and being empowered through food. I don't know. Growing up, I always had this love-hate relationship with food. Yes, I have a foodie family. Yes, we were always surrounded by food. But as a young girl, I thought there was a certain image that I had to uphold and I was watched by weight. And it was that whole diet culture. Um, I'm much older, much wiser now. And realizing that food is love, food is joy, food is strength. And that's how it led me to food is empowering. And then led me to Mary 2.0 and Mary Kitchen Confession. So what have I learned? I've learned that fear, it can be much more debilitating than my actual vision loss. I've learned that overcoming or letting go of that overacting anxiety within me, putting up those barriers that I've installed, those roadblocks myself that I am now seeing much clearer. I've gained vision by losing my sight. I see the ability and my disability. I've learned to live every day, and I'm determined to let nothing stand in my way of happiness. One last thing I want to add in. The beauty of the internet, the beauty of electronics, the beauty of the knowledge that we now have at our fingertips and the accessibility that we have at our fingertips now. You no longer have to leave your home to travel, to go get this therapy, to go speak to someone. We can do this virtually. And I think this is what helps a lot of us, a lot of people with disabilities, because a lot of the time it's the travel, it's the to and from, it's the, how am I going to get there? How am I going to find the place? Um, And that adds this added layer of stress to something that's already uncomfortable for us. So my advice, again, you do what works for you. But my advice is do what makes you happy. Do whatever it takes to get you to that level of comfort, joy, and living life to its fullest. We've got one shot at this. Make it your happy place. Love ya. And thanks for listening. Honestly, this was a tough one. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.